Welcome back to the ARM Viewpoints podcast. We have a bit of a special episode today that looks at the future of the retail sector. Our guest today will be your guide to the retail experience of the future. With us are Rob Aitken, a fellow and director of technology at ARM, and Matthew Griffin, CEO of the 311 Institute, in an episode we call The Futurist and the Fellow, Retail. Rob is responsible for technology direction at ARM Research. He works on exciting things like distributed systems, technology road mapping, and next generation memories. Matthew, meanwhile, is the founder and CEO of the World Futures Forum and the 311 Institute, a global futures and deep futures consultancy working between the dates of 2020 to 2070 and is an award-winning futurist and the author of Codex of the Future series. Matthew's work involves being able to identify, track, and explain the impacts of hundreds of revolutionary emerging technologies on global culture, industry, and society. Welcome to you both. Hey, well, thank you very much. Thank you. I want to start with you, Matt, to kind of kick off our conversation. Where do you see the retail industry with things like shopping experience and logistics going in the next 10 to 15 years? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, I suppose basically one of the first things we should sort of point out is that the shopping experience that retailers create really depends on the type of customer they're trying to attract, the products that they're selling and so on and so forth. So, uh, for example, you know, if you have a look at a lot of the uh, a lot of the chatter around, you know, creating better customer experiences. Yeah, if I'm buying toilet roll, I don't care about customer experience, you know, that's it. Whereas if I'm buying a very expensive item, so you can typically think of cheap items, I'm after, I don't mind a tactical experience, expensive items, I kind of want that soft, huggy, you know, customer service wrap around basically that we sort of get when you sort of go to some of the premium, actual, the actual premium retailers. So on the one hand, you know, we've got to have a look at the type of people that we're trying to attract, the products that we're trying to sell, and we craft the customer experience and everything else basically around that. Um, second thing, when we have a look at the future of retail, um, and we can dive into this in a, in a lot more detail if you like, uh, Amazon is obviously the big elephant in the room, e-commerce is the big elephant in the room, but Amazon is now starting to lay out all of the different technologies and patents that it needs to become a fully autonomous retailer. So if retailers, brick and mortar retailers, think they've already been disrupted, they haven't seen anything yet. And then we can talk through the rise of virtual malls, which we're seeing coming on particularly strong in Asia, so particularly through the pandemic. Um, there's actually, there's loads going on. This is just kind of the, 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 the snowflake on the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. I guess I, I would by and large agree with what Matt has been saying. There's There's been this bifurcation in experience of just absolute low cost, Let's get it done at the minimum margins. And then the high end, I really need somebody to help me with this thing. But I think there's a couple of other dimensions that have shown up and really been highlighted in the last year that, that are quite interesting. So toilet roll was a good example that there was quite an absence of that stuff right at the beginning of the pandemic. And that really showed, I think, how fragile our supply chains are and that there are a lot of assumptions baked in behind retail that turned out not to be true like just in time sometimes becomes not at all and that that in itself has all sorts of technological implications but in addition to that from the actual retailer standpoint there are a lot of questions around security theft and so on which 
manifest themselves in different ways through online versus brick and mortar type stores. And so there's, I think a lot of the technology is actually going to go into security and theft prevention in addition to improving the shopping experience. Yeah, a lot of that would seem to tie back to logistics. Um, So maybe we can talk a little bit about um, how you see logistics evolving and also scaling uh, over the next few years. I'd actually team two things together. I would team fulfillment with logistics. Uh, So increasingly, we're seeing the rise of both fully autonomous logistics and fulfillment. So I'll give you a couple of examples of that. So in the UK, basically, we've got a grocer. They're called Ocado. Um, So even though they actually used to call themselves a grocery company, you know, you go to their website, you buy food, and it gets delivered sort of the next day or whenever you like, um, they are increasingly becoming a technology company that builds fully autonomous warehouses, and then they sell those to companies like Kroger's so they can reduce their operating costs. You know, so we've on the one hand, we've got that sort of autonomous fulfillment piece. We've also seen significant strides made in the future of artificial intelligence and machine vision, where we have robots that are now able to pick goods faster than human workers. Now, that's significant, particularly when you actually have a look at the U.S. market. Over 600,000 people work in the warehouse. Um, So that has a variety of different impacts. When we have a look at logistics themselves, you know, on the one hand, from a supply chain perspective, we're seeing the rise of quantum supply chains. So particularly with companies like BMW, um, where we are able to increasingly use incredibly powerful quantum computers to optimize global supply chains. We're seeing supply chain transparency becoming increasingly important, supply chain provenance becoming important as well. One of the biggest problems from a logistics perspective, that last mile, uh, we've got organizations like Mercedes, for example, who are building fully autonomous delivery vans with drones and robot dogs that literally spring out of them to do the last mile to your house. And that's before we start talking about the advent of drone deliveries, which we've seen thanks to Amazon and 7-Eleven. One of the, the first uh, drone deliveries that we saw was actually some donuts courtesy of 7-Eleven that didn't come to my house. I was a little bit upset about that. So maybe I need to hack some of their drones and just send them off course, which is a security topic again. But um, yeah, there's, again, lots going on just in that space. Uh, I don't get donuts delivered, but uh, I I do get all kinds of other things delivered. And it it is interesting. I think the last mile problem is going to be more challenging than people have thought because it's just, you know, coming to my house is actually fairly straightforward. You drive down the street, you park, you go out the door and away you are. Going to my son's house is much more complicated. So where he lives, the apartment building where he lives has a resident thief whose job it is apparently to follow the, the Amazon truck and as soon as it arrives to steal whatever it was that was delivered. And no one, either at the apartment or at Amazon, seems at least a bit interested in fixing this. And so he and his uh, fellow apartment dwellers have come up with all sorts of schemes and systems to get around this problem. So that human ingenuity in terms of criminality is apparently almost limitless. But beyond that, just the technical difficulty of getting into some of these addresses, I think, is going to to prove quite challenging. At some point, the the technology will eventually be good enough to do this, but on the path from where we're at to 
to then, there's, I think, a, a bunch of break-even points where it's worth making del- certain class of deliveries in an automated way, and it's just not worth bothering on some others. So I think we'll see this transition period where drivers of various sorts will still have jobs while they try to figure out how to actually make those kind of deliveries. This is a really interesting area because of the the level of AI that's necessary for some of these autonomous things. It's, again, it's a classic example of the AI dictum that everything that you think is easy is hard and vice versa. So as we kind of look out to this, what do we do with all this AI sensors and software to to achieve a vision that everybody wants? Uh, so yeah, when we have a look at say customer experience, one of the things that we sort of we can pull in is customer support. So, for example, from a customer support perspective, you know we're increasingly used to the concept of I ordered something, I want to return something, I have a question, therefore I either go online, go to Messenger, go to WhatsApp, go to WeChat, go to whatever it happens to be. But yeah, increasingly retailers are able to use digital humans basically to 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 service your inquiry. Um, So rather than speaking to a text-based artificial intelligence bot, you can actually speak to a digital human like we see from companies like Soul Machines that literally looks looks like a human, responds like a human, and will actually answer your questions and then start sorting things out for you in a very much a similar vein, basically, to, to, to the way humans would. Um, but even when we start having a look at the, the rise of sort of fully autonomous systems, you sort of mentioned about the, the movement of technology, basically, into the landscape. Um, I mentioned Amazon earlier. Um, now, Amazon have recently used an artificial intelligence to design new fashion lines. Um, the way it determines what good fashion looks like is it goes and has a look at all of the five-star rated fashion lines on Instagram, you know, Facebook, Snapchat, all that kind of stuff, and it figures out that if this has got a, if this shirt has got a high rating, then that's probably a good piece of fashion design that it should, you know, do something with, copy, clone, uh, ideate on top of. You know, once it's designed things. Um, we end up with sort of more intrusions sort of into our personal lives because we have cameras now. So, for example, again, Amazon bought a company called BodyScan a couple of years ago. They will actually, you stand in front of these cameras, it will scan your body shape. It then creates a 3D avatar of you. So now it's got your body measurements down to the millimeter level. So when you do go online and you start ordering that shirt that the AI designed, that shirt doesn't exist until that moment. So now we can use 3D printing, for example, and Adidas and Nike are using this to eliminate inventory, which is another huge cost basically for retailers. Um, so now that shirt is manufactured on demand by a machine that just sucks in a load of fabric, makes your shirt on demand. It's then uh, fulfilled autonomously. It's then shipped autonomously. And I get it, but that shirt's a perfect fit because that system has my body measurements. All of this kind of points to uh, an interesting evolution, particularly around the brick and mortar uh, history of retail. Now, you were talking, Rob, about uh, being an expert in things that you didn't expect to be an expert in. Uh, I I never thought that I would have to worry about what does the phrase unexpected item in bagging area actually mean and why should I care? But if I'm trying to get out of the store and that is preventing me from doing so, I care. Um, so those, those kinds of things, I think, are, are definitely impacting the, uh, the retail experience with technology. I'm wondering how you see um, that uh, changing further uh, on the brick and mortar end. 
the automated supply chains present all sorts of opportunities for counterfeiting as well. And so provenance, as Matt was mentioning earlier, is really important. And I think we've been doing a bunch of work into how you can actually, for chips, get them so that they're able to identify that this is in fact the thing, this chip that you have is the one that you think you have, and it has been registered with some authority, some place that vouches for its correctness. And things like that, I think the, the, there are various technologies available that will allow for that to expand to things beyond chips. So, for example, the little Wi-Fi tag or the, 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 the RF tags that you use to you know, identify merchandise, you can start putting things like that into the labels and those can start identifying that this is, in fact, what you want. I mean, shoes is a classic example. I ordered a replica. So I had a pair of shoes and I liked this pair of shoes. So I went online and ordered another version. You know, I want another one of this, this shoe, please send it to me. And the thing that arrived looked like the shoe that I had before, but was actually a counterfeit, which I could tell because every time I walked, it went squeak, squeak, squeak on the floor. It, it was fascinating. If you looked at the online reviews, the reviews were like, yeah, it turns out that this is actually a counterfeit because it goes squeak, squeak, squeak when you walk on the floor. And so apparently other people had had the same experience. And some of what Matt is talking about, if you can get the production closer to the person so it's made on demand and we know who's making it and who shipped it and, and so on, this kind of automation and guaranteeing that what you get is actually what you thought you get and that no one's intercepting it, there's a lot of opportunities there for establishing, establishing trust in these supply chains that in many cases can be automated with suitable tracking technology, which then leads into its own question of, okay, who is doing this tracking and what are they doing with all that information that they now have? But that, that, that's yet another discussion. But there's, there's definitely a need in an autonomous system to keep track of a variety of low-scale and high-scale fraudulent efforts to corrupt it. Well, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, Rob raises, you know, loads of, lots of very good points. Uh, you know, one of the things I'd sort of put in here is, um, yeah, I ordered, I ordered a pair of replacement jeans. They pick out jeans, put those into a fulfillment box, but that fulfillment box reads that RFID tag and it says, this is authentic. You know, we've got loads of different ways to prove the authenticity of goods, nanomaterials, nanotechnology, nanosensors, nano antennae, you know, I've got a big list. Um, now, if, for example, the system knew I ordered some jeans and it then picked up some counterfeit jeans that didn't have that technology actually built into it, then there should be an alarm that, rate that sounds going, hang on, you know, these can't be jeans because there's no RFID tag or the RFID tag or the crypto anchor. Uh, for example, IBM have got one of those. The crypto anchor basically is wrong. Therefore, these might be counterfeit. Let's go and send those off to go and be investigated. And meanwhile, let's go and pick these from another part of the warehouse or whatever it happens to be. We can do this. It's kind of like Amazon Go, you know, where you can walk into an Amazon Go grocery store, scan in. You don't have to pay on the way out because the store has scanned everything. It scanned all the products. It scanned what you've picked up and put in your basket. It's calculated the prices. Why can't we put those kinds of technologies into modern fulfillment warehouses? The technology is there. It's straightforward. The cost of putting these little nano antennae into products is like a millionth of a cent. You know, it's incredibly small. And yet that would help alleviate. You're never going to get rid of fraud, but that would help eliminate 
quite a lot of fraud, counterfeiting and everything else. And just on the, on the fraud numbers, the serious organized crime industry is growing at about 19% per year because it's something I track. It's now valued at $6 trillion. It's the fastest growing industry of every industry. And that's before we talk ransomware and all those other things that they're making money out of. But counterfeiting is a huge industry in itself. And there are solutions. Yeah, and it seems that there is a piece around ensuring trusted and secure experiences in retail, as you were just discussing with fraud. And um, maybe Rob, you, you can start us off on that. There's there's one of the issues that you brought up is is the individual tracking of objects and building an object that can be individually tracked, depending on the technology is not that hard. There's these physically unclonable functions, for example, that you can build. There's various non-volatile memories that exist and can be made to exist. I think the biggest challenge is actually building the logistics behind that. So building the attestation service that's able to identify that you have, in fact, this number that associated with this particular tag is, in fact, a legitimate number for your pair of genes and is then where is that that tracked? Is that tracked by the gene manufacturer, by the retailer, or by somebody else? And depending on what answer you provide to that question, then that brings up a series of costs and complexities associated with keeping track of that database. So there's, I think the cost is, is mainly in the service part of it rather than in the actual tag itself, which, as you say, can be pretty cheap. Well, I mean, and you're right, you know, if you have a look at how you can actually track and tag these. So on the one hand, basically, we can use sensors that are actually within a warehouse. But, you know, the, the, the vendors and the distribution partners agree who does what, you know, so that's a sort of a, a, a demarcation of roles, if you will. Um, but just sort of giving you an example, Rice University last year developed a 3D printable graphene tag that you could eat. So it, all it is. It just looks like a very tiny, straight, black, straight line. And this can be printed on things like strawberries. So this doesn't just apply to genes. You know, in this particular case, you can 3D print a tag that will transmit a signal and an authenticator to a local machine saying this strawberry is authentic. And then it also tells you everything about that strawberry that you want because it's linked to blockchain provenance um, and, yeah, and that kind of stuff. Um, but you're right, you know, when you have a look at the, the implementation basically of the systems to support these types of technologies, that's where it comes down to an ICT you know, business case. And this is where it's a, we're losing $300 million in fraud. If you look at the US, uh, there's over something like $250 billion of medical and pharmaceutical related fraud. Um, so you look at that pot and you go, it's cost, fraud is costing us $300 million. This solution is going to cost us $5 million to implement. You know, what's the business benefit, et cetera? And you sort of run it as a traditional program. But for all of these, for, for everyone who complains about counterfeit goods, Congress complains about counterfeit goods, basically on the big e-commerce sites. The e-commerce sites say that they are continually monitoring the situation. There's one giant that's spending billions of dollars trying to identify counterfeit goods. These projects or these types of ICT projects are not going to cost billions of dollars to implement and they're going to get rid of some of the headache, maybe not all of it, but nevertheless, we can still move the dial. But instead, as consumers, we are still going on to a lot of these different sites, crossing our fingers, going, 
I hope this isn't a counterfeit thing. And believe me, I've ordered loads of counterfeit things. Uh, well, my, mainly my kids have, really, to be honest. Not me, obviously. Um, yeah, we've had loads of counterfeit things coming through because this, the fraudsters are very sophisticated in the way that they wrap everything up and they package the reviews and the way that they scam the system. But this stuff gets rid of that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think you've given a great overview of the kinds of things that we're going to need to do to make things more trusted and secure. Maybe we can kind of pull the lens back a little bit more and kind of look more broadly at if you look out over the next 10 to 15 years, what one thing excites you most about the future world of retail and why? We, we've touched on this briefly, but but one of the things that has popped up in e-commerce so far is that there's now access to a huge range of things that we didn't have access to before. It used to be that if I wanted, say, a particular record album or whatever, I had to figure out which obscure store and which obscure town that I was visiting had a chance of stocking this thing and then make a special trip to go there. And it was all very exciting, but now I can just, you know, any band that's ever recorded any song anywhere, I can just go click and there, now I have it. So there, that, I think, extrapolating that forward into a world where you can get anything, but you can also get a customized version of anything so that I don't have to worry about whether or not this shirt will fit. That, that kind of future to me is really exciting. And I think that the, the opportunities for uniquely tailored products that match you know, our tastes perfectly is, is to me the most exciting thing going forward so i suppose i mean yeah as a as an avid shopper not you know i'm i'm one of those guys basically gets dragged around shopping centers frankly <laughs> along with my kids um so i suppose my wants basically would be i would love to be able to order something online and get what i actually expect so for example shirts that fit uh furniture basically that isn't half the size of what it looks like in the photo that's a fun one um you know try sending a sideboard back We've done that during lockdown that was insane um but then sort of on a, on a sort of more pragmatic point yeah the ability to use for example on-demand manufacturing technologies to personalize and tailor goods yeah in the way that i like um, that's exciting to me. And that's, again, where we start pulling in things like, you know, hyper-personalization, advanced manufacturing, and all kinds of other things. And from a, from a customer experience perspective, you know, surprise me by being good. Um, you know, we, we talk about retail being sort of an experience, but I guess, you know, if we sort of ask the audience, yeah, how many of them have a good experience with retail? Most of them will probably go, it's not bad. It's not good. It's a bit meh. It's a bit in the middle. Um, you know, is that really the experience that retail, the vast majority of retailers are going for? Because that's actually what most of them are delivering at the minute. Um, so I would just like, as I say, I would like to be able to order, order stuff and get what I actually expect. And then if it can be personalized and everything else, basically that's just a, a sort of cherry on the top. Well, I'm sold, which is really what you want from a retail experience. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to you both, Matt and Rob, and thanks to everyone who joined us to listen to into our podcast today. We look forward to bringing you more conversation in the next episode of Arm Viewpoints. Thanks again for listening today. <laughs>